Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. On this edition, let's just talk about UFOs. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs going out to Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Izzardbreath, Dusty, Roger, Michael, Dustin, Matthew, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Joshua, Jen, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Paul, Ricardo, Danger Duck, ooh, Damien, and Daniel... Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, Simon, George, Connie, Seth, Jason, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that? Ian, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Kelly, Lauren, and Phil Langano, Russell, Tanya, Donald, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, the Sean Bishop, Cole, Paula, Larry, <laughs> Jerry, Leo, Austin, Lindsey Hahn, Megan, Aaron, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Laura McCune, hey, howdy, hi, long time no chat, Austin. Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Darth Pikachu, Jade, Nanashi, Heidi, Kira, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Dill, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan with a special shout out to Joe Teague and Stitch. This episode is produced by Chris Jones. Alrighty, let's get right on in to paranormal news because there is a lot of it because I've been gone for a little while. We'll get to that in just a second. What time is it? It's time for Paranormal News. First up in Paranormal News, Lizzie Bordenhouse is hiring a ghost hunter. All right, all you that are near the Lizzie Bordenhouse, which is located in Fall Rivers, Massachusetts, Fall River, Massachusetts, here's your chance to work at the Lizzie Bordenhouse as a ghost hunter. The home was the scene of a grisly double-axe murder back in 1892. Now, she was uh, Lizzie, that is, was suspected of having committed the dastardly deed. Uh, yeah, she did it. I mean, it's fine. Um, anyhow, the home now is a tourist attraction. And, uh, well, it was purchased earlier this year by the company U.S. Ghost Adventures. It's recently begun offering nightly ghost hunts for visitors hoping to encounter the spirits said to still be living in the home. Now let's get to the actual listing. I'm going to click on it right now so I can read it right from Indeed.com. Lizzie Bordenhouse, paranormal investigator and ghost hunter, pays 15 to 25 bucks an hour part-time. Here's the job description. We're seeking an enthusiastic ghost hunters, paranormal investigators to conduct ghost hunts for our guests at the famous Lizzie Bordenhouse. Candidates must have an experience in paranormal investigation as well as proficient knowledge of ghost hunting equipment. The duties, obviously, greet, greet guests at scheduled tour times, extensive knowledge of the facility, uh, demonstrate extensive knowledge of ghost hunting and its equipment. The qualified candidate must be skilled in both customer service, public speaking, and I would assume it doesn't say it, but uh, paranormal investigation. It's a night shift, obviously, weekends availability. Uh, it's got tips, too, so you can get tipped. So 
If you're looking for a job, you're in the area of Fall River, Massachusetts, and your dream job, or just a job that you wouldn't mind taking right now, is to be a paranormal investigator at the Lizzie Borden House, well, then this episode is for you. All righty, up next in paranormal news. Hold on, I gotta stop it so the ad blocker won't. There we go. Emerging tech is key to unraveling UFO UAP mysteries. Just so you guys know, UAP means Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. You'll be hearing that a lot in this episode. It's the new hip term for UFO. They said that further use of emerging technologies marks the path towards uh, forward for the intelligence community to uncover more compelling evidence of unidentified flying objects and to learn more about their meanings, intent, and what they actually are. Now, this goes on about the whole thing of the report that we're going to get to on this episode. Don't you worry. This episode's going to talk all about the report. But they said, we have evidence of these multiple sightings. I think it's essential that we can continue to try and find out what these things are and that science will help us do it. Something I've often said on this uh, show, if you listen um, regularly, is that I truly think that science will prove the paranormal. And in this case, I think science is going to prove UFOs. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, is the Loch Ness Monster a lovesick sturgeon? Lovesick sturgeon? Not a lovesick surgeon. That's completely different. Don't Google, or definitely don't Google image search, lovesick surgeon. But is the Loch Ness Monster a lovesick sturgeon? Locals don't want to know. The uh, DNA research failed to find the plesiosaur, but they said the closer we get to finding out, the more curious we become. And it, it basically, that's about all you really need from this episode is, or from this uh, story in, in uh, Paranormal News, is that they're whittling down what the Loch Ness Monster could be, not a monster, could be, and they're getting more and more curious results, including a ginormous sturgeon. All right, I'm going to keep moving on because there's a lot, like I said. Up next in Paranormal News, Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, spotter, Submit sketch as evidence following the ninth Nessie sighting of the year. That's right. We got another Nessie sighting. Oh, I should have like, is it? No, no. There we go. The ninth Nessie sighting of the year has happened. The ninth official sighting has been recorded. The latest report uh, to the official Loch Ness Monster sightings register included a sketch of what the tourist who was up visiting from the northwest of England spotted on the water. The latest strange occurrence took place on July 30th and was added to the register, which catalogs all sightings of something unexplained in Loch Ness. The report, which was added by a Mr. Vcock, said Mr. Vcock, visiting from the northwest of England, was parked up in the last lay by north of the castle, scanning the lock with binoculars when he noticed something two-thirds across the lock away. He originally thought it was a foot high and some five feet long, but later was able to compare it with the Jacobite warrior? Jacobite? Jacobite? I don't know. The boat as it passed by the area. As such, he stated that what he observed was easily the length of the handrail at the rear of that boat, which led him to reassess what he was seeing as nearly two feet high and 10 to 12 feet long. He said the same was witnessed by two other families in the lay-by. I don't know what the hell a lay-by is. I'm assuming it's some little, like, inlet. The report also included a sketch of what he saw, and it's, uh, well... It's a doorstop. It's a black doorstop. It uh, says 18 inches high, 10 to 12 feet long, but it looks like a black doorstop. So you don't really need to see a sketch 
The uh, incident was quickly followed by the uh, quickly follows the eighth official sighting, which took place just 11 days earlier on July 19th, when a father and daughter from Chester spotted something unusual on the surface of the lock while on a hill walking holiday. That's right. Nessie popping up more and more. I love it. This seems like a good year for Nessie. Up next in paranormal news. This one is a story that I've talked about before, but I wanted to bring it up because it's just such a cool story. It was 1897, and a strange light appeared in the sky over Topeka. History guy looks back at the UFO sighting. This uh, is a brand new story, but they wanted to talk about interesting UFO sightings in old, vintage, whatever you want to call it, newspapers. Kind of the stuff that I like to do. So they said that hundreds saw a strange red light that appeared in the sky above Topeka on the evening of March 27, 1897. The Topeka Daily Capital reported the next day on its front page. Was it the headlight of an airship? Well, uh, this guy uh, says that uh, coming during a year that's seen an increased number of reports of unidentified flying objects across the nation, the 1897 sighting says perhaps it was not an airship, but it was something, something startling, he said. That sighting came four months after the San Francisco call in late 1896 with a mystery airship. If you don't know what I'm talking about with that one, you definitely need to listen to that episode. It's a very interesting um, tale, if you will, story, encounter. I don't know what you want to call it. They said in the months that followed, many UFO sightings were reported in California and the central United States. Inventor Thomas Edison sought to quell widespread speculations that he was behind the UFOs by issuing a statement denying responsibility. I love that. That Thomas Edison was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, that's not me. This ain't me, guys. The Daily Capital initially disregarded reports it received from nearby towns, indicating an apparent airship featuring a huge headlight was floating around the night. But the Daily Capital then reported on March 28, 1897, that several Topekans had seen a red light in the western sky beginning around 9.30 p.m. the previous evening. It seems as if about a thousand Topekans saw it about the same time and they were all kind enough to notify the Capitol Office about it by telephone in 1897. That's a lot, a 1,000 people by telephone. Witnesses included about 200 people who watched from the area of the South 7th and Kansas Avenue. Some of those thought that the object moved while others uncertain were uncertain, it said. The light then suddenly disappeared. No one could guess where it had gone, where it had gone. But the fact that it disappeared suddenly proved that it was not a star. Its article concluded by saying the UFO was supposed to be the work of an inventor who was experimenting with it secretly. The UFO was never identified. I like vintage news articles about paranormal stuff. I just do. I think it's cool as hell. Up next in paranormal news, residents report strange howl. Was it Bigfoot? This is coming out of West Virginia, southern West Virginia mountains, uh, to be exact, they said that a howl comes from far off in the woods. Another seems to reply from the other direction. One woman shared a cell phone recording with organizations including the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, BIFRO, and the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch Organization, RIMSO. RIMSO, sure, why not? The howl was familiar to one man who heard it, and he determined that it was most likely source was Sasquatch. She said the, uh, the woman said that she, who was reporting the howling, said that uh, she didn't want her name or address to be used. She spoke with the Bluefield Daily Telegraph as night fell outside her home and the air grew cool. Sometime the howling can be heard between 8.45 and 9.15, sometimes between 11 p.m. and midnight. But she says, I hear these howls quite a bit. We started hearing these sounds the 1st of May as weather warmed up. We started going outside and working in the garden. 
I happened to be in the backyard just sitting on my porch and enjoying the evening when I heard something strange in the neighborhood. Who did she call? Biff Rowe. Uh, she said, we couldn't figure out what it was. We knew it wasn't a dog because we couldn't hear them barking. This was more of a mournful howl. It's not a coyote because we've heard coyotes before. We hunt and we've actually heard or had coyotes come up in the corner of the property as we've dragged deer out and had to gut the deer here. Ugh. Actually in this driveway, just to keep the coyotes away. So I'm familiar with what a coyote sounds like, but this, well, this was something different. She said, we heard that and then we walked out into the woods. The weather had broken. It was nice. We checked our deer stand and our deer feeder and we happened to notice something unusual, some unusual tree structures also. There were tree branches that had been placed oddly in the shape of an X. The structures are similar to what is seen on the television show Expedition Bigfoot. Um, yeah, I don't know what I think about uh, trees in structures. A lot of the tree structures that you see on Expedition Bigfoot and a lot of these Bigfoot shows just to me look like a tree fell over and happened to hit the tree standing next to it. But uh, she goes, having been a hunter, hunting and everything, I haven't seen anything like it. A lot of this actually started last year with seeing unusual tree structures. The howl started this year. But there's a tree out this path where a tree has been bent over and it's tucked under another tree. Okay, that's weird. And this is a three or four foot, this is three or four foot above my head. I'm five foot four, so it's about nine feet tall. In another case, there was a sapling about three inches in diameter that had been broken and twisted into a right angle and then tucked behind another tree. Okay, that's different. That's weird. She says, it defies explanation. It's just odd. We didn't think much about it until we heard the howls, you know. Simple math. You start adding one and one and one, and this is not adding up to what the explanation is. Uh, let's see. She goes on to say that when she contacted on June 22nd, um, 8.55 at night, she contacted Bifro. They took the recording, amplified it. It's on their YouTube channel. Just so happened that they'd seen the video on their YouTube channel already. Hey, let's see. It just goes on. Man, this man, this thing really keeps going on. Um, I'm just going to wrap it up with this. Uh, another odd occurrence happened back in 2011 or 12. Her brother was taking her sons to his home for an overnight visit when a man in a gorilla suit suddenly crossed the road. Her oldest son confirmed what his uncle had seen. It happened around midnight. The howls again started this year are something new. It's like they're communicating with each other. It's almost like mama calling you home. All right, can we get back to the thing that you kind of just threw out there, lady, about a guy in a gorilla suit? So there's people obviously around the area that are messing, you know, as Bigfoot or messing with Bigfoot. Could it be that? I'm going to say possibly. All righty, up next in paranormal news, is there a Bigfoot population in Maine? Well, there's been more than 20 eyewitnesses accounts that say, well, yeah, um, this author says, when I talk to witnesses, those are the ones I find most interesting If the, is the person that had no idea like this was around them and ran across it regardless and found it undeniable. She likes the skeptics. She likes anybody that's a skeptic of Bigfoot that happens to just, you know, come across a Bigfoot. They probably argued with themselves in their head about a, a thousand times and then came up with the same answer. I saw something that isn't supposed to exist and they had to find a way to accept it and move on with their life. So is Maine a hotspot for Bigfoot? Well, yes. They say when you get to the southern Maine area, I don't think people realize how vast it stretches, of how vast the stretches of that wilderness go. Once you get into the logging roads, the golden road, it's nothing there but you and trees and whatever animals are in the woods. For a forbidding wilderness state to the right life forms, or what? For a forbidding wilderness state to the right life forms, it's very friendly. Yeah, all right, that's a weird way of wording it. 
But yeah, there are short answers. Yes, yes, there are supposedly Bigfoot in South Maine. Moving on. The official Loch Ness Monster Sighting Register. The total now? Remember I was at, what, like nine? Well, in just another week, the total for this year, 11. That's right. Matt Reddick, watched online, said 11. After He said at uh, 3.56 or just before, between the clearing of the trees, just above the shore in the middle of the frame, something surfaces. That's right. He spotted it via the Nessie webcam. Man, everybody's doing this. I want to find Nessie on the Nessie webcam. It appears to surface and dive, leaving wakes as it swims left. When I ap- when I applied filters, I could see something else a ways to the left that I missed in the original at the beginning. You can view his video on YouTube. You know what that means? It means I'm going to click it and watch his video on YouTube. Oh my God, it's 11 hours long. No, I'm not watching. I'm not walking. I'm not going to make you guys sit here and listen to me watch 12 hours of Bigfoot video, or Loch Ness video. So uh, let's see, we had Matt Riddick, then we had Mr. Vcock, which we talked about, then we had Sebastian, Oscar, and Alex Alexandra Norman. Um, then they had a man and his daughter from Chester we talked about, a young man visiting from Cambridge, Rosalind Casey from Leeds, Kaylin Wangle, and then Ian O'Fagan. Um, then we have another one by Ian O'Fagan, and then we have... Another one by Ian. Good Lord, Ian O'Fagan. Come on, give me some other people a chance. And then another one by Kaylin Wangle. So apparently, again, I know I've said it a lot during this pandemic, but you guys really should be watching this Nessie webcam because people are seeing Nessie left and right. All right, let's keep on keeping on. I think this is the one with the video that I wanted to watch, but I was going to wait for this episode. Bigfoot in Canada? Inside the hunt for proof, or at least a good photo. Does Bigfoot really exist? If it does, why can't anyone get a good photo of it? Well, Canadian Bigfoot hunters have been trying to answer that question for decades. Uh, here's the video. No, that's not the video. Where's the video? Uh, this, I'm, I'm trying to skip ahead. There's a, a very long article with the video that won't play. All right. Well, that sucks. Um, yeah, now this video will not play. The one that I wanted to watch. Some claim Bigfoot. Yeah, I can't get it to play. So the answer is maybe. And we're going to move on because I'm not wasting my time anymore on that. Up next in paranormal news, Londoners Londoners baffled by strange flashing light beneath River Thames with some convinced it's a submarine, others convinced it's a UFO. This one does have a video that I can get to work, and I am going to watch it. They say Canary Wharf locals were left perplexed last night by a mysterious flashing light that appeared to be coming from below the River Thames. Posted in a Facebook group for the Canary Wharf and the Isle of Dogs residents on Sunday, August 15th, Juliana shared a video of the river asking residents what the flashing light could be. Many East Londoners uh, speculated the life could be the light could be a submarine lurking below the river's surface, while others joked it's coming from aliens. Alrighty, as I said a minute ago, let's watch the video. Yep, it sure is a flashing light, but it's a flashing light that's not moving. Yep, still flashing, still not moving. 
Yeah, all right. Well, I was expecting it to be like whipping along underneath the water or being spooky or anything. No, it is literally like someone in a boat had some kind of like beacon or something or flashlight that was flashing and they dropped it into the water and it just stayed there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. And I think it's actually the final one in paranormal news for right now. Yes, it is. This is a sad story. As much as I want it to be a happy story, it just isn't. It is a very sad story. Woman injured while ghost hunting in the central terminal warns people to stay off the property. This comes out of uh, Buffalo, New York. A Kenmore woman hurt while ghost hunting inside the central terminal is now speaking out. She wants to stop someone else from possibly making the same mistake she made. The central terminal has a reputation for being haunted, so Rachel Miller and her friend Eric something wanted to see if the rumors were true. I've always felt like a curiosity about it. What they thought was going to be a fun night of exploring changed dramatically after one wrong step. I put my foot down to check how nice and level it is, and I, if it could hold my weight, and the next thing I'd remember... I just fell right through the floor. I turned my back for not even two seconds. She was gone, and all I heard was her screaming and yelling, Eric said. While inside the nearly century-old building, Rachel fell about 15 to 20 feet through a substantion roof. I don't remember the fall. I remember waking up. It's been a few weeks since that happened. She's still recovering from a number of injuries, including broken shoulder blade, four broken ribs, and a punctured lung. She wants to warn people to stay out, so no one else has to experience what she did. I don't want anyone else to get hurt because the next person who gets hurt may or may not come out of it. I shouldn't have even I shouldn't have even come out of it, but I did, especially with the injuries sustained and the way I fell. So, yeah, look. She said she didn't see any no trespassing signs, but she would have entered it anyway. But look, the the point of this is, oh, now there's video of her foot and it's all gross. Hold on, I got to get off this story before I tell my my two cents. Um Look, you guys got to be very careful if you're urban exploring. Paranormal or otherwise, urban exploring is very dangerous for this reason. These buildings are old. They're dilapidated. They're falling down. There is an, it's very easy to hurt yourself on a paranormal investigation, just on the basic ones, because for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, and I still don't understand why, everyone decided that if you want to do a ghost hunt, you have to do it in the dark. Guess what? That's stupid. Ghosts are seen during the day, people. We don't need to be doing ghost hunts at night. Do it during the day so we can actually see around, like see everything. Yeah, oh my God, there's a shadow. Well, there's shadows during the day. There's a shadow right here from the window. So can we stop doing in the dark ghost hunts? I know it makes it a little more spooky and scary and oh, got just like a haunted house. Yeah, like, like, the, like the fake haunted houses, like the haunted mansion. Yeah, it is. It's spooky as shit to be in the dark in a creepy old building walking face first into a spider web while you're trying to find, a, a, you know, a dead kid that's laughing at you. Just do it during the day. That's all I'm saying. Can we all just agree on that? Just do it during the day. All right, that about does it with uh, Paranormal News. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank all the patrons. If you want to go over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for all your patron needs, Thank you to everybody that's over there. They do have exclusive episodes. There is another one coming out shortly as soon as I can get um, around to finishing it up. I'm almost done with the outline. I just need to record it. There's also merch. If you go over to storeenvy.com and search Paranormal Almanac, there is a bunch of them. Alrighty, let's take a quick break. We are back. 
I want to take a, uh, a quick second before I get into this episode. I want to take a quick moment to thank everyone for understanding about my absence. Uh, this is going to be very short and very quick so I can get through it. For those that don't know, Stitch passed away rather suddenly. Uh, yeah, it was the worst. Stitch was the best dog I could have ever asked for. A fan favorite will never be forgotten. So I just can't thank everyone enough who, uh, <clears throat> who reached out or posted some very, very nice things about Stitch. I truly, truly do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, um, obviously it's the worst. But for those that have asked, and many have, uh, here is my P.O. Box address. You can write to either Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Sandvig, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. Once again, Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Sandvig, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. If you didn't get a chance to write that down, if you're out or driving or something, you don't have the ability to write it down, I did post it in both the Facebook fan page and the regular Paranormal Almanac Facebook page. So you can go there. Anybody that wants to send me anything, that is the address to send me stuff. I know there's been a lot of people that reached out about it, and I thank every one of you. I am going to do some more live shows, but, uh, you know, as you can tell from this, you know, brief little moment, I need a bit more time before I can go live on camera because it's, uh, you know, really hard to talk about Stitch. And I know it'll be brought up, and I thank you for it. And, again, thank you for the love. Okay, that's about all I can talk about him without breaking down again. So let's get into this episode. Let's move past that and get right into this episode. The main part of doing this episode was to finally talk about the UAP report. Once again, that's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Report from the U.S. government. A report that was going to, quote, finally explain what UFOs are and where they come from. A report with detailed, previously classified military personnel sightings and information. A report that was going to go into detail about recovered wreckage of, quote, not-of-this-earth materials and entities. All of this stuff, they said, hey, it's coming in this report. You're finally going to get it, what you all have been waiting for. Well, if this report sounded too good to be true, you were right. And... You know, we had talked about it. I had talked about it. Now we'd talked about it because the live shows people have talked about it. We all knew that it wasn't going to be the be-all, end-all. Here, here's the report. It's called Aliens Are Real and How We Have a Ton of UFOs by the U.S. Government. We knew it wasn't going to be that. But, I, well, not but, not surprisingly, I'll put it that way, a nine-page report was released that did not concretely state aliens are real and they're, you know, here they are. They did not verify all the findings in MJ-12 or confirm that Roswell was real. Was it a letdown? Meh, I hate to say it, but mostly. But 
it is the first of many reports promised. And as I've said for years and said on this show, disclosure won't be one big announcement. It's going to be tons of leaks and articles and little bits and pieces and videos until no one cares that UFOs are real. By the way, we're pretty much there already. But with that said, though, let's dive into that report and talk about the good bits only. No, I'm not going to read you the entire nine-page report. Don't worry. Or if you were hoping I would, don't feel bad. Don't uh, uh, maintain your expectations. I'm not going to read you the entire report. But what I am going to do is I'm going to touch on some of the important points that I found and other people found, like most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects given them that a majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors that include radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and visual observations. There are probably multiple types of UAP requiring different explanations based on the range of appearances and behaviors described in the available reporting. All right, that's direct quote from the report. I'm going to do this a whole lot on here. I don't know why I can't hear my voice anymore. I'm hoping this is still working. Huh. Well, let's keep on keeping on and hope that, uh, hope that, there we go. There we are. I don't know what happened to my speakers. All righty, we're back. Um, so, like I say, I'm going to read a little bit about the, from the report, and then I'm going to talk about the little piece that I just read. This piece that I just read to you is good because it wasn't the U.S. government saying everything people are seeing are swamp gas or Saturn or, you know, a balloon. Sure, some may be misidentified planes, but the variety of the objects that it talks about in the report and the people seeing them are very real and ultimately they don't know what these people are seeing. This next bit is very interesting as well. No standardized reporting mechanism existed until the Navy established one in March of 2019. Now, as you guys remember, it was what, 2004 was the USS Nimitz, the Tic Tac, and all those? Yeah, like 2004. So 15 years later, we finally went around to, okay, we have to come up with some kind of standardized reporting mechanism, which used to exist in the days of Project Blue Book, but that went away. So this report is saying that they now have a standardized reporting mechanism that'll help in future reports and make it more clear just what these UAPs are. After careful consideration, after carefully considering this information, the UAPTF, that is the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, the one that did this report, focused on reports that involved UAP largely witnessed firsthand by military aviators, very important, and they were collected from systems we consider to be reliable. These reports describe incidents that occur between 2004 and 2020 or and 2021, with the majority coming in the last two years as the new reporting mechanism that I just talked about became better known to the military aviation community. We were able to identify one reported UAP with high confidence. I'll get to that in a second. In that case, well, I guess I'll get to it right now. In that case, we identified the object as a large deflating balloon. But... 
The other remain unexplained. 144 reports originated from the USG sources. Of these, 80 reports involve observation with multiple sensors. Most reports describe UAP as objects that interrupt pre-planned training or other military activity. That is very important. Yeah, it's only 144 uh, reports that they're talking about in this report that they released. Only 144. But only one could be explained, a deflated large balloon. In a total of 18 events, witnesses reported unusual UAP movement patterns or flight characteristics, basically demonstrating advanced unknown technological capabilities. Uh, the report says that unusual behavior included UAPs and EFOs, which appeared to be to remain stationary in winds aloft, move against the winds, so that's very important because a lot of skeptics say that all of them are balloons or birds or just something that's just floating along in the wind. No, no, no. This report clearly says moves against the wind, maneuver abruptly, or move at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. Very big, very big part of this to debunk all these skeptics that say everything that they are seeing on air can be explained by birds and bags and balloons and dr tiny drones. No. The report also states that in a small number of cases, military aircraft systems processed radio frequency energy associated with UAP sightings. It says that the available reporting on UAP is, quote, largely inconclusive, but there is currently no evidence that any of the objects are related to a secret U.S. weapons program or were developed by foreign adversaries. Not foreign adversaries, not secret U.S. weapons programs. The clustering of sightings near U.S. military bases are probably the result of several kinds of collection bias, meaning it's the, the report that they're doing is the military. It's a military report. The Navy established it. So it's going to be hearing from the military. So, yeah, a ton of these are going to be seen near U.S. military bases because that's who's reporting them. That's who they're getting the reports from. Uh, most of the UAPs were probably physical objects since most were detected in multiple ways, including radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and visual observations. In addition, there are multiple types of UAPs. Like I said earlier, uh, let's see, unusual flight characteristics that demonstrate, which appear to demonstrate advanced te technological capabilities could also be the result of sensor errors, spoofing, or observer misinterpretations and require additional rigor rigorous analysis. That is important for two things. One, for the skeptics who say, yeah, some of these are wrong. Some of these are sensor spoofs or what do they call those stupid little bodex or whatever, that little triangle one that popped up and everybody's like, oh, that's I know that's I know exactly what that is. That's the aperture of the camera and it's an, in a triangle shape. And that aperture is what's causing that little miss uh, sensor error. Yes, that is true. So you skeptics, I am not saying everything in this report is pointing to UFOs, but for me, unusual flight characteristics like those which appear to demonstrate advanced technological capabilities. Again, these aren't birds. These aren't balloons. These aren't uh, weather balloons. These aren't whatever stupid thing that all these people are saying these are. Our government is saying, nope, that is not what's happening. 
They say that uh, the objects could represent a threat, but it clearly poses a risk to flight safety and may pose a challenge to national security. Um, potential adversaries have developed either a breakthrough or disruptive technology, but there is no conclusive proof that that's exactly what these are. They say they need to collect uh, and analyze more information, consolidate reporting, develop a more efficient way of screening and processing these reports. Yes, you do. I will gladly help you with that. You send me the reports, I'll go through them. Uh, they said that the sensors mounted on U.S. military platforms are typically designed to fulfill specific missions. And as a result, those sensors are generally not suited for identifying UAP. They can track them. They can see them. They can do all of that, but they can't identify them. That's not what they were built for, nor should they be. It's a kind of a bit of a cop-out because they're basically saying, look, we can't identify UFOs because the sensors weren't made to identify a UFO. They were made to track planes. True, but all of these sensors prove something with an unknown propulsion doing maneuvers that would kill a human that can go underwater and to the stars in a blink of an eye actually happen frequently around our highest level of military and our top fighters. And they couldn't do anything about them or come even close to them. All righty, let's keep on keeping on. They say that uh, the sensor vantage points and number of sensors uh, concurrently observing an object play substantial roles in distinguishing UAPs from known objects. And that's exactly what they are. They're saying that these optical sensors benefit some insight to relative size, shape, structure, radio frequency sensors prove even more accurate velocity and range information. Again, skeptics, I'm talking to you right now. These are not man-made objects. These are not a tiny kid's drone. These are not even China's drones. These are doing things with breakthrough aerospace capability. They know the size, they know the structure, they know the, the uh, velocity, the range. These things are doing things that even our spy planes can't do. Uh, let's see, UAPs uh, tend to cluster around US training and testing grounds. Uh, UAPs probably lack a single explanation. Yeah, yeah, but let's start explaining what the government really knows about them and has for years. Look, there's no reason to hide that they have recovered UFOs. It will not cause the stock market to crash, people to kill themselves, religions to crumble, Look, it's 2021. What was that? 60% um, of people, I think it was, already believe in UFOs in that latest poll. Besides, most people are dumb anyway and don't even believe in science right now. So it's the perfect time to be like, hey, hey, fuckwad that doesn't even believe in science or that the earth is round. Well, guess what? UFOs are real too. Suck it. Deal with that. Um, yeah, that's right. I'm talking about suck. I'm talking about people sucking it, you know. UFO report. Uh, some UAP observations could be attributable to the developments and classified programs by U.S. And entities. We are unable to confirm, however, that these systems accounted for any of the UAP reports we collected. So again, for everyone that tells you that UFOs are just classified military spy planes, this report is saying they are unable to confirm that these systems accounted for any of the 144 UAP reports that were collected. Uh, UAP threatened flight safety, possible national security. Again, only if the government isn't sharing what it already is known for decades about UFOs, in my personal opinion, Kurt speaking. The uh, UAPTF, once again, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, 
has 11 reports of documented instances in which pilots reported near misses with a UAP. I added this again because these are trained military pilots flying the most advanced planes, and they don't know what these UAPs were and couldn't come close to explaining the high-tech maneuverability of them. Uh, we currently lack any in, any data to indicate that the UAP are part of a foreign collection program or indicative of a major technological advancement by a potential adversary. Said that one already, but it's true. Tell this to your friends who say, oh, it's probably the Russians or it's probably China. No, there is zero evidence that what these UAPs are are advanced military technology from a potential adversary. The task force has begun to develop interagency analytical and processing, work processing workflows to ensure both collection and analysis will be informed and coordinated. So they're going to continue to monitor and report the UAPs. That's very, very good. They could have just, you know, like pulled a Project Blue Book, lied their asses off again and say, oh, UFOs aren't real. They aren't even worth investigating. Nothing to see here, folks. But no, they said, yeah, you know what? They're going to continue to monitor and report on these. That's a good thing. They also said they're going to incorporate FAA reports and data. Again, very, very good thing. Because if we remove the stigma for reporting UFOs, guess what? More pilots will report UFOs. There is still such a stigma that pilots and air traffic controllers and military and police, a lot of people are like, I ain't going to fucking report that. No way, no how. Sorry. So there's a lot in this nine-page report. It's not the smoking gun we'd all hoped for, but I didn't kind of expect it to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, let's, uh, that's, that's about it for that. What is more important, though, is what was left out of this unclassified report. The metamaterials, again, that they talked about that they were going to be in this report. They said that they recovered from crashes that are not of this earth. That was supposed to be in the report, and it's not even mentioned remotely anywhere in this report. The fact that some of these targets that were recorded by the Air Force for well over an hour and still not released, you know, where the pilots talked about the propulsion of the craft, that how it's decades ahead of our current classified spy technology, the trajectory, the maneuverability that is impossible with today's classified military spy planes. None of that, well, a little bit, but not enough of it is in this report. They have said that those videos that we saw from the USS Nimitz in 2004 and the Tic Tac uh, UFOs and all of those, that those uh, videos are like a minute of hour-long or two-hour-long videos. There's more to those videos. There's more to those reports. Uh, let's see, what else didn't they, didn't they talk about? The biological entities, again. They supposedly were recovered, but not mentioned in the report at all. All of this was supposed to be in the report. And the fact that it was supposed to be hundreds of pages long, this report was supposed to be this definitive be-all, end-all, let's get it all out there because this is finally time to, you know, tell the world. No, we got nine, in my opinion, heavily redacted pages Look, remember, like, uh, just before the report was released, there was a former Pentagon official saying that a skeptic of the report, quote, doesn't have the whole story. There's data that skeptics will never see. There's much more that I would 
that I would include in a classified environment. That came from a Pentagon official. Let's talk about the presidents for a minute, not being political. Biden says that, uh, well, he's not said anything. He's basically dodged recent attempts to get him to weigh in on UA UAPs. He said, President Obama says there's footage and records of objects in the sky. And he says, we don't know exactly what they are. What do you think? This is what a reporter, I'm sorry, this is what a reporter asked the president at a May 21st press conference. Biden just said, well, I'd ask him again, smiled, left the podium. Obama said, look, the truth is when I came into office, I asked, is there a lab somewhere where we're keeping alien specimens and spaceships? They did a little bit of research and the answer was no. He said, uh, but what is true, and I'm actually being serious, is that there's footage and records of objects in the sky that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain how they move. We can't explain their trajectory. They did not have an easily explainable pattern. I think that people still take seriously trying, I think that people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what it is, but I have nothing to report to you today. So where does that leave us? Well, the report says that another report will be delivered by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the Department of Defense within 90 days of the release of this one. So we have another report coming from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the Department of Defense, informing Congress on how best to update data collection on UFOs. According to the New York Times, officials said they would provide lawmakers with periodical updates beyond that. We have more reports coming. Hopefully, someday, one of these reports will either screw up and talk about something classified that we can get declassified with the Freedom of Information Act or just talk about something just out in the open and say, yeah, they're real. It just, I kind of, it's, it's very frustrating. I, I'm very excited that there's going to be more reports. Don't get me wrong. I'm very excited that we're slowly removing the stigma for even non-believers. But my biggest complaint about this report, again, besides how small it was, and that it... Uh, that it, I couldn't share it. Look, look, this is my big thing. My biggest complaint is that I really wanted to get the report, read it, and go, ha-ha, and send it to, like, my friends and family that think I'm dumb for believing in UFOs and aliens and tell them, see, it's all real. Right there in paper, U.S. government said UFOs are real, aliens are real. We've got them. We've got UFOs. Bam, take that, grandma. I don't know why I picked my grandma. She's not even alive, but... Take that random relative that thinks I'm crazy for believing in UFOs. Take that Neil deGrasse Tyson who says there's no chance for UFOs. But no, not yet anyway. It's coming. It'll happen, everybody. I was going to say keep the faith, but keep the science. Keep the science. It's going to happen. All righty. With that, let's keep going. Let's talk about more UFOs and more UFO reports, because this isn't the first report that has come out. And no, I'm not talking about Project Blue Book or MJ-12 or any of that. No, I'm talking about the one that came out of France. France, who became the first country to open its files on UFOs in 2007. What did they do? Well, they just released all of their cases online. The online archives, which will be updated as new cases are reported, have all types of cases from the 
totally bogus. It's like obviously a plane or, or that really is like a Batman balloon to the ones that are really bizarre and really unexplainable, that are still unexplained. In fact, they have 1,600 cases registered between, registered since 1954. Since 1954, 1,600 cases, all of them on their online archives. Nearly 25% of them are classified as type D. What's type D mean? That despite good or very good data and credible witnesses, we are confronted with something we can't explain. A uh, fun fact, UFOs in France are called OVNIs. Objet volant non identify. Sorry, French people or people that speak French. Uh, but I think it's kind of cool, the OVNIs. Uh, one of the cases on their online database is a great one. And it came from January 8th, 1981 at 5 p.m. 55-year-old farmer Renato Nicolai in Trans-en-Provence, France, heard a strange high-pitched whistling while out farming. Don't worry, he gets way better than a strange high-pitched whistling because right after he heard that strange high-pitched whistling, he saw himself a flying saucer, eight foot, two inches in diameter, which is, you know what? It's very specific. It wasn't eight feet. It was eight feet, two inches. I'm assuming that it was some kind of, it was this many meters that happened to go down into eight feet, two inches, but still very specific. He said that he saw this flying saucer. It flew and then landed about 50 meters away. That's 160 feet for stupid people in America. Um, he said it landed about 160 feet away from him. Here's the description. The device had the shape of two saucers, one inverted on top of the other. It must've measured about one and a half meters in height. It was the color of lead, the color of lead. The device had a ridge all the way around its circumference. Under the machine, I saw two kinds of pieces as it was lifting off. They could have been, they could be reactors or maybe feet. There was also two other circles, which looked like trap doors. The reactors, the two reactors or feet extended about eight inches below the body of the machine. The UFO almost immediately took off rising above the tree line and flew away to the Northeast. He said, it stayed for a few seconds. Then it took off into the blue yonder without making a sound. Uh, let's see, he went over to where it landed and he saw like burn marks on the ground in the shape of those uh, reactors or feet. Now his neighbor, and I gotta be honest, it's unclear if she saw the UFO too. Some sites say, yeah, she saw it too, but I don't, I don't think she saw the UFO. I think that she saw him and he was freaking out and she was like, oh God, uh, call the police, call the, Gendarmerie. Um, I'm sure I got that wrong too. The local police. So they show up, they interview Nikolai, and uh, they believe him enough to actually take photos of the scene and collect soil and plant samples from the field. Now, this uh, case was later sent to Guy Pan or Guy Pan, I don't know. It's uh, Group d'Etudes de Phenomena Aerospatos Non Identifies. Sure, why not? It's, it sounds to me like it is the group for aerospace phenomena, uh, unidentified aerospace phenomena. And as it was known at the time, G-E-P-A-N. And they said the chemical evidence was consistent with heating of the soil and pressure from a heavy object. They also found traces of zinc and phosphate and evidence of abnorma abnormalities in the plants nearby. Skeptics, don't worry, here's for you. Skeptics say the crushed plants could have easily been caused by tires. Yes, it could have been. 
maybe, but I will say that Nikolai did say a bunch of cars were driving at the time of the sighting and stopped there afterwards. But skeptics, that G-Pan thing, well, their analysis noted that the ground had been compressed by a mechanical pressure of about four or five tons and heated between 300 degrees and 600 degrees. So you could say it's a car, a big car, but you could say that's a car, but no car is going to heat it between three and 600 degrees. Sorry, skeptics. They also found trace amounts of phosphate and zinc in the sample material and analysis of the resident alfalfa near the landing site showed chlorophyll levels between 30 and 50% lower than unexpected, lower than expected and unexplained. Kind of cool one, huh? I like these one-off cases where it's just some random guy going, what the hell? Oh my God, it's a UFO. Hey, look everybody, UFO landed right here. And then the police actually believe them because apparently in 1981, it wasn't, uh, you know, shunned. If you said, hey, I saw a UFO, they immediately go, oh, really? Tell us more about it. Really? Well, let's take some photos and take some samples. They actually did their freaking jobs. So... There you go, everybody. Everybody that's been waiting for the UAP report, there you are. You don't have to read it. I mean, you can if you want. I'm not stopping you. Feel free and read it. It's real easy to find online. It's not much more than what I told you, what I just read to you. Uh, I read all the high part, the high parts and the, the good points and some of the skeptic points. Because again, I want to do both sides. I'm a skeptical believer. I definitely believe in UFOs. I think UFOs are real. There's not a question in my mind. There's not a question in my mind also that we're, you know, we're not alone in this universe. But I personally think that UFOs have been visiting the earth for quite a long time. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, backs that up. I'm sorry, there just is. There's nothing that you guys are ever going to be able to say to me. If this report came out and said, uh, after close analysis or close investigation, our analysis is that UFOs are all fake. There's nothing to the UFOs. If you believe in UFOs, you might as well believe the earth is flat. I would have said, well, that's bullshit because the earth ain't flat and UFOs are real. But it didn't. It didn't say that. Again, there's nothing that you can say that will make me go, UFOs aren't real. There's just too many, ev too many stories, too much evidence. What really bums me out, though, is all of these people that have seen UFOs, the, the you know, the high-profile people that have seen UFOs, Travis Walton, all of those that I'm sure secretly deep down were hoping that this report was finally going to tell the world that the U.S. government knew has known about UFOs forever and that UFOs are real and that aliens are real so they could finally get some vindication because, you know, these people take a lot of shit and have taken a lot of shit in real life and online. There's a lot of... Again, these, these big, big people that, that have seen UFOs that have, it's basically ruined their lives or ruined their relationships. So for them alone, I was really hoping, and I'm sure they were too, that this report would vindicate them, finally prove that what they've been saying all these years was real. And it just didn't. And it bums me out. But again, I remain vigilant, hoping that one day, It'll be the leap home. No, one day we'll get a report that says that UFOs are real or a news story or, you know, fuck it. Hopefully one day a UFO will land 
and everybody will go, holy crap, there's a UFO right there. And there's no way that it's fake or, or CGI'd or any of that crap. It, it was a real UFO with a real alien in it. Everybody saw it. It can't be questioned. It's amazing. It's the story, which should be the story of the year or the decade, but will probably only be a footnote on CNN for a day or two. Because these stories, yeah, people are talking about them. Yeah, people are talking about the Tic Tacs and, and the Navy videos and everything, but not enough. It should be, again, it should be the story of the century. And it's just not. No one cares. Like I said earlier, people already know that UFOs are real. Let's just do it. Let's just suck it up and say, yep, UFOs are real. All right, that's enough of a rant on this one. What do you guys think of the UFO report, UAP report? What do you guys think of UAP? I'm so used to saying UFO. I don't like changing it. And some people say UAV, unidentified aerial uh, vehicle. And then there's, um, you know, um, there's so many acronyms for for UFOs now. And, uh, you know, USOs, underwater, uh, unidentified submergible objects or whatever it is. Um, What do you guys think? What do you guys think of this UAP report? Did it tell you more than you thought it would? Tell you less than you thought it would? Or do exactly what you thought they were going to do? What do you think of the UAP acronym? Why do we have to have so many acronyms in this world? Every job that I've ever had, within the first week, I have had, I've had to learn like 90 new acronyms. And I'm like, this is just a waste of brain space. Because as soon as I leave this job, I'm never going to have to know this acronym ever again. Um, and yet I still do. So yeah, this is it. This is the one that you guys have been waiting for, asking me for. The UAP report episode. I hope you guys liked it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for understanding me taking a little time off, a little personal time. I 100% needed it. Uh, as always, much love to everybody that reached out to me. Much love to everybody that said they wanted to send me something. Oh, I said I was going to do it at the end of the episode. Let me do it now. Once again, that address, that P.O. Box address, is Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Sambig, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. Um, For those asking how you can support me, Patreon is a phenomenal way to support uh, these patrons make these episodes that much better. They got the equipment. They got everything that uh, they allow me to do this show. They really do. I cannot thank the patrons enough. They're a phenomenal group of people. You guys just listening is phenomenal. Um, thank you all so, so much. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Hello, no, Sam, here, Bamaru. Schnitzer, very free, but